0: Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Harris did a poll in October of last year, and uh, the poll was on what is causing stress in America. And... I'm sorry, I didn't tell you guys to sit. Did I? <laughs> I really want you to stand for the entire service. It's just, <laughs> I have to stand. I figured you might as well. Um, Harris, they did a poll, and the poll was what's causing stress in America. Now, this, is, this is what was really interesting. 27%, nationwide poll, 27% of Americans said they are so stressed they're having a hard time functioning. I want to talk this morning about handling anxiety. Because it's something all of us deal with, all of us face. It's something that thank God God has answers for. But it's, it's amazing as they, they did the stats on this. 80, you know the number one stressor in America right now? Economy. 83%. People said the economy was really stressing them out. You know, we, we preach here and, and and talk about tithing and giving offerings. We do it every week. We don't belabor it, but it's important. Tithe is that ten percent that you that you give to the Lord. Offerings are over and above that. And we teach it for three reasons. One, it honors God. Number two, it enables us to spread the gospel here and around the world. Amen. Number three is it ties you in to God's economy. And see, when you get God involved in your finances, what's going on out here doesn't matter because what's going on here is making a bigger difference. And so we don't have to stress out. And if you're if you tithing, giving offerings, and you're honoring God with your finances, whatever's going out there, you know, Lord, you're bigger than the economy. You're going to take care of me. We're going to be okay. The second reason, stressing America out, was violence and crime. 75% said that was the biggest stressor, that was the the, the second biggest stressor, violence and crime. Down in Florida, an elderly lady came out of the grocery store she'd been shopping. She came out of the grocery store and as she came around to her car, she noticed four men in her car getting ready to leave, take off with. She dropped her bag, she reached into her purse and pulled out a large revolver and pointed it at them. She stood in front of the car. She said, I got a gun and I know how to use it. Get out of the car. These All four gentlemen did not wait for a second invitation. The four doors opened and they just exited the vehicle. She, she's a little rattled. She got in, she put her stuff in the back seat. And she got in, she, she so rattled, she couldn't get the key in the ignition. She kept trying to get the key in the ignition until she finally realized when she saw when she saw the, the six pack of beer and then the frisbee in the back and the football, she was in the wrong car. <laughs> her car was four cars over. It's the exact same model, exact same color. So she gets her stuff and she transfers it over to her car and then promptly drives down to the police station to report it. And so she comes in and she's talking to the sergeant. He's about to roll on the floor. He's laughing so hard. He he points down at the end of the row where four very pale men are are, are are filing a carjacking charge. And the description was Caucasian woman less than five feet tall, white curly hair, large glasses, and a very large handgun. No charges were filed. <laughs> that woman is not worried about crime but it's a big one. 66%, the third one, of Americans were stressed and anxious about the, the state of the, of the political environment. It's, it, these are, are stressing people. Now, an interesting thing also, they noted 70%, I thought this was interesting, 70% of Americans do not believe that government cares about them. Now, when I read that, immediately a, a song came to mind. It's, it's from way back. Some of you know it from 1980. Johnny Lee thing, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. <laughs> if you're looking for love from the government, it ain't coming, but I know someone who does care and who loves you and is concerned about the anxiety level in your life, and it's God. And so he addressed that. I, I want you to see something that Jesus said his disciples before he left. He's about to go to the cross and he had, and John records some of the greatest last words that Jesus talked to his disciples about. And right here in John 14, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you by being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I've always read that last verse and, and, and quoted that just, just by itself, and it's, it's a great verse. But I really believe that they're connected. That when Jesus is talking, he's, he's telling his disciples, I'm not gonna be here any longer. He said, I'm gonna leave. And they're thinking, oh my God, he's gonna leave? Where are you going? And they're like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. They were a little nervous about that. But Jesus is basically saying is, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you a helper. And if you've got a helper, he will be with you all the time. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will show you things to come. He will strengthen you. Peace I leave with you. They're connected. When you know you've got help, it reduces the anxiety level in your life. When you know help is coming. And so oftentimes, even though the Holy Spirit's kind of treated like the third part of the Godhead we don't talk about, He's designed to come and help us. His role is to come in Jesus' name and be a help to us. And if He can teach me how to get out of trouble and teach me how to deal with stuff and show me things to come, my anxiety level goes down. I've got help. My parents were both born in the Depression, and they were raised in Georgia, rural Georgia. My dad was. Uh, my mom was raised in a, in a larger town. Both of them were the product of, of growing up in a single parent homes. In the 40s and 50s, that was a little bit rare. And both of them struggled with poverty, my dad especially. So he was a hard worker, very bright man. He put himself through Georgia Tech, which was, it's like a, the MIT of the South. He, uh, he became a very successful business person. But he had a fear. And one of the fears was that his son wouldn't have, if if, if life was too easy on his son, that his son wouldn't have what it took to succeed. Does that that make sense? He he didn't want me, you know, to feel like, you know, that everything was handed to me. He was concerned about that. When I was 10 years old, they put me on a bus and sent me down to a a bus station two hours away where people they didn't even know picked me up. I mean, some of you parents are thinking, oh my gosh, I won't send my kids two blocks away, but they sent me two hours away. They didn't want me to, to end up feeling, you know, not having what it took to push through. So when I'm 16, my dad sent me to, to help, help his business. He sent me to a, business, a vendor of buyers, in a, in a neighboring town, a little good ways away, and I drove his station wagon. Anybody remember station wagons? Well, my, my dad had a, a Vista Cruiser. Vista Cruiser was a nice station wagon. But you sat in the front and the back was like two zip codes away. It was, it was, it was long. And I'm, back, I'm 16, I'm driving for like two weeks and I back it out and I drive it off the driveway and I drive it onto a culvert and, uh, and got it stuck there. I, I, I didn't know what to do. And so I remember going into place of business and I, I, and I called my dad and I'm like, dad, I, I just did this and I don't know what to do. And I never forget what you told me. He said, he got angry he said, what would you do if I wasn't here? And I'm thinking to myself, but you are here. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't say that. (laughs) But unfortunately, you know what the message that got across to me? You're on your own. And the challenge is, when you believe that, then when situations handle it, if you feel like it's bigger than you and you feel like you're on your own, the anxiety level goes up. See, you know the challenge is, it's hard to face, but some of the ways that we, the way we react to our kids is often the way our children view God. And I always, enjoy, and I have always talked about it, I've always, I've had to get over that hump that God has not left me on my own. When you know help is coming, it's a different story. When the pipes froze during the great freeze of, was it 21? Yeah. And ours, we had one that burst. Well, I, you know, I'm not super handy, guys. I mean, I can unclog a toilet. And that's it. Uh, <laughs> pipe burst. And, and you, you remember when the pipe burst, all of a sudden plumbers became golden. And we, we, we got a hold of one. We knew someone, knew someone, and we got a hold, and the plumber was coming. I remember the relief that we felt just knowing a plumber was coming. Just knowing help was coming. I really I believe when Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It doesn't, you don't have to have peace out here to have peace in your heart. And when you know that the Holy Spirit will help you, that's another reason for peace. God doesn't want us anxious. But we face situations in life that can be high anxiety. I'm going to give you a great story this morning of a, of a man in the Bible who faced a very high anxiety situation. His name was Hezekiah. He was a great king. He was, he, his father Ahaz was a horrible king. He was the king of Judah. He was a great king. When, when Hezekiah came in, he was 25 years old, he absolutely turned that whole country around. Started serving God, opened up the temple, cleaned out the temple. They had trash and, and idols in the temple. He cleaned it all out restored temple worship, restored worship. It was really, he started a revival in his his country. And he's doing all these things and he's setting up and the king of Assyria named Sennacherib comes into the the, the land of Judah and starts taking cities. And Hezekiah and his leaders figure out he's coming for where they are, they're in Jerusalem. They figure out he's coming for Jerusalem. They sent a spy balloon over and they said, ah, there it is. uh, I'm just kidding. I just want to see if you're listening. All right, man. They they figured out that he was coming. And uh, what Hezekiah did was brilliant. He He started doing what he could do from a military standpoint to get ready. Let's read some of his story here. And he, Hezekiah, strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Then he sent military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate. And he gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that's with him, for there are more with us than there are with him with him as an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Good story. Hezekiah did not go inactive when he was facing a high anxiety situation. He did everything he could under his control. They stopped water, They, they built the city up. They got stronger. They strengthened themselves. They made weapons and shields. They set things in order. So what he did not do was allow fear and anxiety to freeze him. He didn't get paralyzed by it. He did what he could do. And then he used his words very wisely. When he spoke to the people, he spoke to them words that helped them, that strengthened them. He said, guys, he said, be strong and courageous. He said, don't be afraid of this king of Assyria and don't be afraid of all the people that are with him because God's with us. And if God's with us, there are more with us than there are with him. All he's got is flesh, but we've got the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people are like, amen. And it strengthened the Bible. Some, one translation says the people rested on the words of Hezekiah. It gave them strength. Good words. And you think, okay, I guess Sennacherib heard about that and he went home. Mm-mm. He ratcheted up the pressure. And I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes, but he began to send letters into the city written in Hebrew saying, don't you trust Hezekiah? Don't you think your God can deliver you? Your God is going to be the same as all these other gods of all these other peoples. We've already conquered them. You're going to get, it's going to be a bad siege. And what he's doing is psychological warfare. He's he's just constantly badgering them. And by the way, that's what the enemy does. He doesn't let up. He just keeps telling you how bad it's going to be, and God's not going to help you. It's not going to work out. Look what happens here. Hezekiah, how they handled it. He said, then they called. This is Sennacherib, the Assyrian army's men. They called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem. It's against the gods of the people of the earth, the work of men's hands. Now, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he'd gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. I think you got a bad family. That's a bad family right there. The um, I like what happened here, but you can see that you can see the enemy's attempt. They're calling out in Hebrew, "We're going to kill you guys. You don't want to do this. Go ahead and surrender." They're trying to frighten them so they could take the city. You realize that fear puts you in a weaker position. When you're afraid, you're not in a strong position, and when the anxiety level begins to rise, and so. Hezekiah and, and Isaiah, they got, and they actually took the, what, what he said and they spread it out before the Lord. And they cried out to God, and God got involved. And when God gets involved, it's game over. And uh, he cut down mighty men. Sennacherib winds up going back and his, his own offspring killing. God got involved. But you see what Hezekiah did to handle things. Now they're crying out. They're getting God involved in the situation. There's a great pattern. How do you handle anxiety? Let me give you you some things this morning that'll help you. First one is this, is keep moving through the anxiety. A lot of times people get in anxiety and if you're not careful, it will will freeze you. You won't move. I've seen people that, guys have lost jobs and and they're just, the fear is causing them not to even go out and look for another one. You, You gotta keep moving. Don't let anxiety stop you. You say, well, I I just feel stressed. I feel so afraid. Don't stop. When I was a a, a kid, my parents would take me to uh, department stores. Remember, department stores would have those escalators. And with an escalator, you ever, as a kid, go up the down escalator? I've tried this recently. No, I'm kidding. uh, (laughs) Escalators coming down, and you're going up. And and the way to go up is you gotta move faster than the escalator. You gotta keep going. And so escalator's coming because if you stop, you wind up going all the way back down. And so with fear, when fear and anxiety come, instead of just sitting there and just going, I'm I'm afraid, I'm afraid, move, do what you can do. Move forward, Do, do everything that's in your control. But even just by taking action, you're, you're doing something to combat it. In other words, you're saying, I'm not going to let anxiety dominate me. But here, here's the second one. And this one is real key. Use your words to strengthen you, not to stress you. Use your words to strengthen you, not to stress you. You say, well, Alan, it's just words. No, 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 there's so much more than that. The God who made us, the God who created the universe, the God who formed us, the God who knows how, we're, how we operate has said over and over again throughout the scriptures, your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. There's death and life and the power of your words. And so oftentimes when people get stressed, that's all they talk about. I'm so stressed. I'm so afraid. I just this. I just don't know what's going to happen. The government, the, the economy, the Chinese spy balloons. we got all this thing happening. And people, but they start talking that. And that's not helping you. Look what it says in Proverbs. There's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Your words can pierce and hurt or they can heal and help. Now you've all, we've all been hurt by words. But a lot of times we don't take into account our own words, that our own words are the ones that are hurting us. There's a big game today. Eagles, Chiefs, okay, wait a minute. Who's for the Eagles? I forgot, you know, I forgot this is Texas and it's Dallas Cowboy country and everyone hates the Eagles down here. Okay, who are for the Chiefs? I I rest my case. Who don't care, you just show up for the food. That's me, this is the who don't care bowl. (laughs) But I don't know what's going on in those locker rooms, but I tell you what's not going on. What's not going on is the quarterbacks aren't walking around going, I got a bad feeling about this. (laughs) I just don't feel good about this. I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. I'm 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 just so stressed, I am so nervous. They are awfully big. if we're going to get hurt, if we're going to get it beat bad, if someone started doing that on the football team, you know what someone would do. Someone would pull them aside and go, have you lost your mind? Shut up. I'm now in trouble with Joyce who goes, don't say shut up. But I just said shut up. I'll deal with it later. You know they're going to be, don't, you don't say stuff like that. You're getting ready to play a big game. You're not talking fear. They're walking around with their chest puffed out, looking at one another going, you the man. That's right, you the man. We're gonna dominate. We're gonna eviscerate. We're gonna subjugate. (laughs) You're talking, you're talking win, right? Football teams, ath- athletes, you know, you talk win. You're in the big game, but they're in the big game that seven years from now, no one's going to even remember who won. We're playing the game of life every day. Don't speak words that hurt you. Speak words that help you. You say, wait, wait. You say, well, what should I say? Because I, I, I do feel afraid. This is when you begin to say what God says. This is when you begin to take the Bible and realize this is a manual for living. That what God has said about you is a higher level truth. He said he hasn't given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. He said that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He said that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. So you can begin, so all you, if, if you're so afraid, you can begin to say, the Lord is helping me. He said, he'd never leave me or forsake me. The Lord is helping us. He's helping our family. Just saying those words will strengthen you. But if you're saying, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, that's, that's causing more stress. Does that make sense? Death and life are there. I was, I was writing this and, and writing this message and the Lord just dropped a poem in my heart. I'll share it with you. Words can wound or words can heal. Say what God says, not how you feel. Feelings are real, but they're often wrong. Say what God says if you want to be strong. Amen. Say what you say. The, um, the last one is this, and this is, this is real key. I want you, oh, this is, to me, this is so important. Your relationship with the Lord is your strong place. Amen. You know, sometimes, I, and, and I tend to teach, and I tend to think in one, two, threes. People think, Do you talk to joy that way? N- no. But, uh, but we, I, I tend to think along. that. And sometimes, one, two, three, people think, okay, this is just like a formula that I plug in. This is a, a foundation from our relationship with the Lord. Hezekiah, before all this trouble hit, Hezekiah had a relationship with God. In fact, I want you to see this verse here. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. Hezekiah did three things. He served God. He, he studied God's word. He had a heart for God's word. And he sought God. He brought God into his life. Now, you, you may you say, well, Helen, that's great if you're a preacher. This, this is not about being a preacher. It's about being a child of God. It's about having a heart for him. Our job functions may differ, but all of us can serve him. All of us can study what he says in his word, It's life. All of us can seek him and get him involved. I think it's important to have a heart for God because God's got a heart for you. See, a lot of times we don't think about that. Have you, uh, I want you to look straight ahead on this one. Do you ever have people that when you see their name show up on your phone, you go, oh boy. What do they want? Like I said, straight ahead, looking around. I think everybody's got people like that. People who don't call you unless they need something. It's usually, it's called children. <laughs> Actually, as they get older, it does change. Matt bought me lunch one time, and after I got up off the floor, I was rejoicing. <laughs> but but you, you see people, and you know people, that their only relationship with you is what, is what, is what they can, they're always asking, hey man, I need, But how about those ones that when you see their name pop up, you're like, oh, someone that you know loves you. Someone that you know is not going to, usually they're going to put something into your life, not try to take something away. Man, that's the valuable thing. Well, that's about our relationship with the Lord. It's okay to go to the Lord when you have trouble. But remember, Hezekiah went to God before the trouble hit. You want to begin to develop a relationship with God before all hell busts loose. And then when all hell busts loose, you fall back on, I got a relationship with him. We're going to be okay. There's a, that's so key. That's so key. When we talk about live for God, grow stronger, make a difference, that live for God part, is really important. Because the breath you just took, thank him. And the sun that's shining when you walk out of here, thank him. And the earth that we live on, thank him. Oh my, he's been good. He's so good to us. And here's the thing. And and he's got a heart for you. Greg Boyle wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart about his work with the gangs in LA. And as as Greg was uh, was writing this book, he said that everyone in life has a touchstone, a, a, a point of reference what he called a controlling image of how they see God. He said he gained his touchstone from his, his ministry friend and mentor, Bill Kane. Bill had a ministry that he took a break from to take care of his father who was dying of cancer. And Bill would go in, he had to do everything for him. The cancer had just eaten away at his body and, and his body was weak, but his mind was still sharp. And Bill, Bill said that he had, it was like a role reversal. And what you used to do, you know, what your parents used to do for you, then now you're doing for them. And so he would help his dad get ready for bed and he would put his dad in the bed and then he would read to his dad before his dad fell asleep. Much like his dad used to read to him when he was a child. He said he would start reading a novel or something to his dad and his dad would just be staring at him and smiling. And he would close the book He'd like, look, he said, this is how this works. I read to you, you go to sleep. And his dad would impishly apologize. And then he would close his eyes. He said, but then he'd open one and he would look at his son and smile. And Bill would go, oh, come on. He would close his eyes again. And then invariably he would pop his eyes open. And after he died, Bill Cain said, you know, the real story here was of a man who could not take his eyes off his kid. We think of of a love like that. Where does a love like that come from? It comes from God. A God who can't take his eyes off of you. David talks about in Psalms 40, he said, I'm poor and needy, but your thoughts toward me He talks about, you can't even number God's thoughts. He said, I couldn't even recount them. You ever think about that? That God looks at you and he's not angry. He's smiling. He's got thoughts towards you. There's so many, you couldn't even number them. And his thoughts are good. When I encourage you to have a heart for God, we're we're running second here. He already had a heart for us. Still does. Would you bow your head for a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you came this morning and, or you're watching online and you say, you know, Alan, I, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life or I'm just not sure where I stand. Or maybe you're like I was. You made a decision for the Lord and he got away from him and you're sitting there right now thinking, man, I really need to, I, w- I want to come back to the one. Oh, that's so smart. Coming back to the one who loves you more than anyone else. <laughs> that's powerful someone whose eyes on you, someone who thinks good about you, someone who will stand with you, someone who can help reduce the anxiety in your life because he loves you so much. Man, what a great move. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you that I'm talking to, we're going to say a prayer. And if you would like to get in on this prayer, if you'd like to say, Alan, I, I want to know where I stand with the Lord or, or, or I want to come back to him, would you pray for me? Just real quickly, shoot your hand up. across this auditorium. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your courage. Thank you. Anybody else say that's me? Would you pray for me? Wonderful. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You wanted to, and you just didn't do it. But that's okay. Listen, listen. Pray this prayer with us. Pray it from your heart. We're going to pray with you as a church family. If you're watching online, listen. You can you can pray this. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're other people, pray it quietly. If you're here in this auditorium, we're going to pray it with you. You're not alone. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ. Because I've said yes to you. Head still, bowed, eyes closed just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer for those who turned their hearts back to you and for the ones who've come to you for the very first time. We rejoice with them. We know you have a destiny, a plan, good things in store. And we give you all the praise. Father. For those of us who've walked with you, who've known you, thank you for your heart for us. We love you, Lord. We have a heart for you. And that can grow and develop. Nothing's stopping us. Nothing's holding us back. For that, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.